You're listening to Truth Jihad Radio on the internet airwaves since 2006 and crowdfunded since around 2010. By crowdfunding this show, you are saving me from having to rely on funding from the governments, the corporations, and the usual suspects, uh, including the mainstream media, so I can call it exactly the way I see it. Please do subscribe. You can go to truthjihad.com. And you'll land on a page where you will see subscribe at Substack. You could click there or you could just go to kevinbarrett.substack.com. Welcome back. This is the second hour of tonight's Truth Jihad Radio special live broadcast. It is the eve of Eid al-Adha. So happy Eid, everybody. And we're talking with people uh, of course, with ideas outside the box. In the first hour, talked with Ellen Brown about the upcoming food shortages based on what appears to be an actual war on food that's going on right now. The Rockefeller Foundation knew it was coming ahead of time. Hmm, that's pretty, uh, pretty suspicious. And, and, you know, another thing that has often aroused my suspicions is the way that the, what we might call the Jewish power lobby or the Zionist lobby, sometimes it's Zionist, whatever you want to call these people, the, the ADL and their friends, they never lose in court. We saw how Judge Hellerstein had all of the 9-11 victims cases channeled into his courtroom. And he basically quashed anybody who questioned the official story, made sure they would go nowhere and basically uh, redirected everybody towards taking the fairly sizable compensation rather than protesting. And Ellen Mariani tried to push onward and got shot down and his and her, her lawyer. Uh, Bruce Lichty, who was on the show last week, ended up getting sanctioned by Judge Hellerstein for the, having the temerity to suggest that a judge whose entire family is basically Israeli shouldn't be judging uh, a 9-11 case involving accusations that Israel was behind 9-11. In any case, the moral of this story is that Jewish power and Zionist power tend to do very well in American courtrooms. You don't beat them very often. But my guest, Henry Herskovitz, actually appears to have defeated the Jewish power lobby in court. Um, this is a real man-bites-dog story. Such things don't happen every day. Uh, and uh, the story here is Henry's been picketing his local synagogue in Ann Arbor for many, many years. The Jewish power lobby folks pushed back and sued him, and it's gone through various courts, and so far the First Amendment seems to still exist, which is quite shocking. So let's uh, let's hear about it. Hey, welcome, Henry Herskovitz. Good to have you back. Hey, Kevin, it's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah, you too. I, I had Bruce Lichty on a while back, and uh, we were thinking it would have been fun to have you on with us. But now we've got you on uh, for your own full hour, and we can talk about how you managed to beat these guys in court who don't lose very often. Um, well, it, you know, it certainly wasn't me. Um, these people brought forth a, a slap suit which is a strategic lawsuit against public participation. And uh, the ACLU, for their part, really did a good job defining that. Uh, it's basically a, a case where you can outmoney your opponent and go through an appeals process uh, on and on. Every uh, decision by a judge will be challenged in an appeals, pro appeals court all the way up to the Supreme Court. And... Um, um, these these slap suits um, are very prevalent, and in Michigan, 
there are some states, I should preface it by saying that there are some states that have anti-slap suit legislation passed uh, to prevent wealthy plaintiffs from bringing frivolous suits against defendants. Um, and we, I mean, you might be talking to the luckiest guy on the planet because we were represented by um, constitutional litigants of uh, Detroit uh, pro bono. So uh, we were able to, um, in parentheses, withstand the, uh, or in quotes, the withstand the uh, the onslaught of these uh, these plaintiffs, two plaintiffs, um, Jewish plaintiffs, uh, one even touted as a Holocaust uh, survivor, um, to uh, that that came at us um, two and a half over two and a half years ago. To initiate a, a lawsuit uh, against uh, what we do, and I guess um, you you explain to the viewers, listeners that um, um, this protest started 18 years ago uh, by myself and a couple of other people who had traveled to Palestine to see what was going on. We were shocked to find out that the narratives that we had been brought up with our entire lives about tiny Israel, innocent Jews, um, Palestinian terrorists, Islamic terrorists um, were, were very much unfounded. Um, and we met people, we talked to teachers, we talked to uh, politicians and, um, and dressmakers and, and teachers. And, and we had, um, uh, you know, we took a bunch of pictures. We met a couple of people. We met some, made some friends. I came back. We came back and wanted to show the um, our slides and tell our stories to the congregations at uh, in in uh, in Ann Arbor, the Jewish congregations, because uh, we felt they needed to learn what was going on from firsthand uh, observations. Not that we're professionals, not that we're journalists, not that we're so um, social workers or psychologists or anything like that. We're just regular everyday people. Uh, retirees going over to Palestine to see what was going on, and the um, synagogues, uh, all three synagogues in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, refused to hear our story. So we decided at that early point, since our met, our our, um, our goals were very uh, very simple, we wanted to address um, these Jewish people on their way to to um, um, to their services on Saturday mornings and say, hey. Um, uh, we're not allowed to get our message out inside the synagogue. Let's try outside the synagogue. And we appealed to them to to stop funding the um, the, the Jewish federations, which uh, is the, I guess, political arm of the Jewish com community. And um, um, they they closed the already closed doors even tighter. And uh, after a couple of years of um, seeking uh, their uh, input, the, the congregants, we decided to take a page from their own Hasbara handbook and address the uh, general public. So there is a, uh, the synagogue is situated on a four lane, 40 mile an hour um, uh, interstate bypass or, or business loop uh, for both I-94 and US-23. Uh, our opponents uh, claim that we're in a residential neighborhood and Technically, that's true, but the uh, busyness of the intersection allows us to see about a thousand cars uh, every Saturday morning for the hour 
and 15 minutes that were outside protesting um, in the uh, in December of 2018, 2019, I'm sorry, uh, one of the congregants uh, wrote me a, a certified letter and said, uh, you know, cease and desist. And uh, he was very upset that we um, that we held a, a sign that said um, end the Palestinian Holocaust. And he felt, uh, you know, the typical uh, Jewish ownership of that word. And no one else can use it and certainly not applied to to uh, the Palestinians under which um, the, the, the Jewish people have kept their uh, the, under their thumb for um, for pushing 80 years. So it sounds like he was basically threatening to sue you for trademark infringement. Yeah, something like that. And he then he um, uh, then he I, I, you know, this this part's a little cloudy because I think it was that the attorney that he had is named his name is Mark Susselman. And I think that um, Susselman um, from nearby Canton, Michigan, uh, just went on a fishing spree and he went into the synagogues and asked if anybody would be willing to put their name as plaintiffs. And uh, Marvin Gerber said yes. And and a month later, the Holocaust survivor, so-called survivor, um, Miriam Brisk, uh, added her name to the complaint. Now, how old is she? Um, I, I don't know for sure. I know that Marvin is in his mid 80s. I would assume that she's at least that. OK, so. So, yeah, she's the, she's an age where theoretically she could have passed through camps in World War Two. Yes, that's 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 true. Well, that's and, good. Uh, if they're going to pass off a you know a 40 year old or something as a Holocaust survivor, I would I would wonder. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's uh, yeah, I, I, she's a, she's an old person. Her husband's an old man and. And he's constantly verbally uh, uh, attacking us. If we had, you know, if we had money, Kevin, I mean, uh, maybe I could borrow half a million from you to uh, to, to sue the ADL, which is. Well, I, I could write you a promissory note, but I, I don't I'll, think I could back it up, unfortunately. I'll, I'll, I'll take the banks get away with that. The, the uh, you know, the ADL labels me a Holocaust denier. So uh, it's like the the umpire um, calling a pitch where the, the catcher has to leap up in the air uh, to grab the pitch, and the umpire calls it a strike. Well, it's a, it's a strike. And when the ADL speaks, uh, everybody listens. And when you point out that that's Jewish power, well, you're an anti-Semite. And, and, and if, you're, if you're in Germany, you could go to prison for it, like uh, Alfred Schaefer did. Of course, he, we just heard he got out just the other yes. day. And so yeah. shout out to Alfred if in Monica, uh, his sister, if you guys are listening um, legal problems <laughs> regarding these kinds of issues exist here in the United States, too. But uh, fortunately, they're not putting folks like yeah. us in prison yet. Alfred and I have exchanged a couple of letters that got through to him and uh, back to me. And uh, I'm very uh, um, enthused that he's um, been released. I don't consider that a victory. Oh, that's uh, for sure. Yeah. How, how many years was he locked up? Like like four or five four years. Four or five? Or five? That's insane. As, as I know, and what's really bad, and um, but the what's very frustrating, Kevin, is that the regular people have drunk so much of this Kool Aid um, that when I pointed out the travesty of uh, Jewish power just locking up a 101 year old man who was supposedly a guard at one of the camps, you know, 80 years ago, um, you know, he's 101 years old and he got a five year sentence, and I, you know, and I'm 
I'm saying, geez, he'll only be 106 when he gets out, you know. Yeah, and, he still have most of his life ahead of him. Yeah, whole, his whole life ahead of him, exactly. <laughs> and, so, and then people say, well, he was, you know, and, and people get so uptight and so outraged. Um, and, 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 you know, I've really become to, uh, I've really come to a point where I realize that the, that the restraints, the, the, um, um, the, the, the ability to say thou shalt not isn't coming from the right anymore. It's coming from the left. You know, it's when you, you trip over their ground, their, their lines in the sand and, and you ask questions. Well, you can't, you can't do that. I'm on a, um, a Facebook group who has seven pages of rules and, um, they're very, they're very hilarious. They talk about hate speech that's going to be prohibited on their on their um, wet, uh, Facebook page. Um, and when you def you try to get them to define Facebook, I mean, excuse me, when they get to define hate speech, you know, they give you these dictionary definitions that are around. Well, I went to my big dictionary from 1967 that hate speech isn't even an entry. You know, so that tells me that that there's a manipulation going on very much like the fact that for 35 years after World War II, Holocaust in the dictionary didn't mean uh, persecution of Jews uh, in Germany. It meant the uh, total burnt disaster, a burnt offering, um, things like that. It, you know, so so our language is being manipulated. I noticed that um, when our Ann Arbor City Council was cowed into passing a, uh, a resolution condemning anti-Semitism that now they're spelling the word um, all lowercase with no dash and no capital S. Yeah, that, that came along at kind of the same time they changed uh, Kiev into Kiev. Kiev. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah there's, it's it's happening faster and faster. What's that about? Well, that that particular one means that that um, you know when when we say we have a sign that says um, you know Jews oppressing Palestinians is real anti-Semitism, um, and because Palestinians are Semites, and uh, I guess the Jewish power elites couldn't stand that, so they had to re-spell re the word uh, mm -hmm. not to include capital S Semites. Right, so you don't notice the fact that it's about Semites anymore. Now it's yeah, just it's a, all, a big word. Yeah, anti-Semitism yeah. means uh, you hate Jews. And, right, which is of course ridiculous because yeah. you know back in the day when they came up with this in the 19th century, it was erroneously believed that European Jews were somehow Semitic, which they were not and are not. So this was part of a now debunked racist 19th century European conception that no longer exists. And so the idea that if there is any kind of animosity towards Jews today, it's based on a racial notion that they are related to Arabs. I don't think that's the case at all. But look uh, how clever that was, you know, to to in, in, in imply via the name that Jews are from the Levant, the Middle East. That's right. Know? It worked out for Zionism, didn't it? You know, so it was that's that's very clever. That's very uh, great word manipulation. And logical manipulation, which the Jews themselves call pill pull, which is a way to argue, um, twist things around so much that the end conclusion is what you wanted from the beginning. You know, no matter, no, you know, uh, like the local rabbi um, saying that, yes, torture is wrong. Um, and uh, but if we had to do it, 
here's the the Hebrew prayer we would utter <laughs> to to you know exonerate ourselves. So this is like really Talmudic reasoning. Yeah, it's very it's very Talmudic, and it's and it's very you know. Um, uh, do do you are you aware of a, a friend of mine named Nahida Izat? Um, exiled Palestinian. Is that, is that a, a, a uh, there's a doctor? Is that I... no? This is Nahida. She's a uh, um, a lady who I've become friends with, and and we <clears throat> have a um, there's a, there's a group in uh, Ireland and uh, England um, called uh, UK for Palestine or something like that. It's an interfaith group, and it's the only one that uh that openly talks about jewish power and i'm very proud of these people um, oh yeah 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 that's right I, I did talk to that group and yes and, I, I know that's right know you her. came yeah. you came on once yeah. and uh, i think nahida was there and uh and she has done an incredible study um uh, i guess maybe maybe like you uh, because you are you're a convert to islam and uh so you probably know it uh chapter and verse um and and she has um done a uh, like a 2000 slide PowerPoint presentation that she's taking us through. And um, and I can't believe these um, this this uh, information that she is unearthing. Um, and I'll just give you one quick example here and challenge you to find to, to tell me a similar um, verse or statement in Islam. Uh, this is coming from the Chabad.org website, and it says, We have learned that Jews are functionally different from non-Jews in that they have a neshoma, a part of God himself. And that's how Jews are differentiated from non-Jews. And I ask you as a, as a Muslim, is there such a, um, a thing in all the... Um, Islamic religious texts that that say the same thing only back only like applied to to Muslims like Muslims are a part of God and everybody else is not. Uh, no, of course not. On the contrary, yeah. in, in fact, today's the day of Arafat, which was the prophet peace upon him's last sermon, his farewell sermon, and in it uh, he restates basically the same message that the Quran has, which is that everybody's on the same level in the eyes of God. The black, white, uh, you know, male, female, uh, Arab, uh, non-Arab, that they're all at the same spiritual level. And the only real distinction that matters is their degree of piety and good works. And so it's, Islam has a very strong kind of egalitarian ethos. What's one of the reasons that there's no hierarchy of uh, priests and archbishops and popes in Islam and this whole racist notion of of the chosenites is is really uh, I don't think Christianity really has that either. Christianity does have a, this problem of saying my way or the highway. You know, either you endorse our creed of you know Jesus died for your sins, blah blah blah, or you're going to hell, right? And so then Christians have a history of sometimes not always, but sometimes kind of mistreating other groups uh, because of this notion. Um, but Jews have a kind of consistent history of going overboard with this idea of being the chosenites. And what you just described is a, a sort of a Kabbalistic notion that developed over the past several centuries, apparently. Uh, and no, it's, Islam is very, very strongly opposed 
to these things. And again, it's throughout the Quran we hear that people who uh, who have faith and do good works, uh, fear not, neither shall they grieve. And that includes the Christians and the Sabbateans and the this, that, and the others, mm-hmm. that people, all sorts of people are basically on the same level. We're all equal in the eyes of God. The only distinction is is our piety and good works. And so, yeah, this is one of the problems that develops in in Palestine, where that egalitarian heritage conflicts with this these Jewish superiority minded Zionists who came over and colonized the place and thought of themselves as kind of God's gift to the universe and looked down on the local folks who'd been there before and then started exploiting them and robbing them. And, uh, uh, so if the Jewish Zionist invaders of Palestine ever decide that they can live on terms of equality and mutual respect with the other people there, they'll probably be just fine. But I'm not going to hold my breath until that happens. No, and, and Nahida is even, uh, you know, as as enlightened us as, as about uh, to the uh, the one state solution, um, and the uh, um, you know the 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 the, the inherent fifth columnist nature of that. Um, Mal- Malcolm X, uh, you know, said said that something that opened my eyes, and 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 that was the. Um, you know, he was asked whether uh, good meaning white people could join his, um, um, his his black group. And he said no. He said that uh, the, the re- he recognized that the racism in the late 50s and early 60s that was engulfing the, uh, the United States, the racism um, began and was nurtured in the white community. If the white people wanted to help his black group, he, they had to work independently and go back to their own community, their own white community, and solve the racism that was in there. And uh, but but there, but when you try to translate that to Palestine and and uh, uh, the the source when when I say the source of the racist state of Israel, and you can you can see that racism just by reading the national or nation state law of 2018 just four years ago, um, you know, the racism is, is uh, driven from the Jewish community. And so for, the, for all the um, Jewish voice for peace voices that we hear, for all these um, Jewish-led um, supposed peace groups for Palestine, they never have that, uh, they never have the liberation of Palestine uh, as part of their agenda. They want to talk to you about anti-Semitism they want to talk to you about the Holocaust, but of course they never really want to talk about the Holocaust. They just want to use it as a sledgehammer to uh, to pound you into uh, into compliance, into silence, or to to cause you to go away from from any argument that's there. So so Malcolm had it right. He figured that out, and yet the um, um, I have a very uh, well-meaning um, Palestinian friend here in Ann Arbor. And uh, he constantly um, showers me with uh, uh, the you know Jewish voices that he thinks are strong, like recently Peter Beinart. And I pointed out to him that Peter Beinart, as a Jew, embraces his Judaism, you know, and embraces his Jewish community when he should be confronting his Jewish community. Um, I you know I just don't see. Why, um, you know, I, I don't know much about Peter Beinart, and maybe my listeners don't either. So maybe you could succinctly sort of describe him. 
Well, he just he just you know he he uh, is a teacher at CCNY, a professor, um, and he and he talks about Israel's crimes and he talks about uh, national laws and he talks about um, um, you know the um, um, apartheid nature of of uh, the Jewish state and all the crimes, but he never gets to the core. He never talks about Jewish power. He never holds his own community accountable for the racism that's clearly there. And and even, you know, I, I've been trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm a former Jew and, and I'm trying to get my arms around uh, Nahida's presentation about Jewish ideology that drives the Jewish state. And, uh, you know, and I think back of my own uh, youth, um, because believe it or not, I was a young man once, Kevin, and and uh, and <laughs> well, I you're you're, re- you're a recovering young man now, as as well as a recovering Jew. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it, it, you know, in all the holidays that we celebrated, um, you know, Passover, um, you know, cheering on the angel of death that was going to kill the firstborn Egyptian male, and uh, and saying that's a good holiday. Um, I mean, I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah these biblical yeah. stories are actually quite bloodthirsty in many cases, and the divine morality is is kind of, you know, you have to work a little bit to figure it out. It's and you know, people criticize the Quran, yet it's way less problematic than than the Torah or Old Testament. So yeah, I, I can well, see why you had I, issues with you that. know, and it, but it develops in Jewish young people. And us versus them mentality. So it's it's easy to go from that to hating Germans, to identifying Palestinians only as terrorists, and um, and and to to um, you know circle the wagons. In the meantime, they are manipulating um, the entire world into these World War Three scenarios. Um, that that is represented by the Ukraine versus Russia, and um, I mean I can't tell you how many Ukraine flags are flying in my neighborhood, and and I hold my head and I'm saying you guys are not paying attention to what's going on, and you know when, when they're inundated 24/7 um, with um, you know um, Putin is the new Hitler and we have to hate him and it's okay that we're paying five and a half dollars a gallon. Um, because, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our patriotic duty. I mean, this is just uh, lunacy on, on, a, on a high plane. And, and I got to tip my hat. In fact, um, uh, my wife, Margo, wanted me to thank you for uh, that interview with Ron Owens that uh, you, you uh, turned us on to today. Uh, Margo and I met Ron in Palo Alto, oh, four years ago or three years ago. Um, and... Uh, I've often, you know, uh, well, I, I can admit right now, I, I don't have the intellectual capacity to to carry Ron Owens' jockstrap, but, you know, he just blows me away with his uh, his, his um, ability to, to understand and to question and to write. I just wish he would write anything less than 20,000 words because it takes me so long to read it. But mm-hmm. he's a uh, he, he's a wonderful person. And I and I often use him as an example when uh, people are bashing me about um, w- with my anti-Biden views and they they conclude that, 
you know, um, I'm, I'm a Trump supporter, therefore, and that only um, only deplorables support Trump and stupid people. And I say, well, Ron Owens is probably the most intelligent person I've ever met, and he voted for Trump. So what do you think about that? Um, you know, but well, I think Ron is probably he's, he's not 100 percent convinced that that was the best vote he ever cast, especially since the Trump administration appears to have launched the covid pandemic with their strike on uh, Wuhan and Com. <laughs> yeah, that that was right. just a, that's an eye opener story. And, and people need to, you know, but who's going to carry that? Um, you know, you had mentioned that there's, you know, that 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 uh, video is getting towards a quarter million likes and views, I guess. And, and that's that's good. Um, but it's not you know, it's too bad you don't own the New York Times and we could really get that message out there. Yeah, we're kind of it's kind of inching out little by little. You know, we we uh, we, we just had the uh, oh, uh, what, what's his name? That uh, the guy who was the chair of the Lancet Commission on COVID origins uh he announced that or he just in, in an interview jeffrey Sachs is the guy's name and he he mentioned that it came or he thinks it probably came from a u.s bio lab and he didn't yeah. say a wuhan lab right and of course in ron's scenario we would expect that the whole uh, wuhan lab story would have been created in advance back when this covid strike was basically a contingency plan that they you know so well you know what if we want to hit china with some kind of you know bat coronavirus try to slow their economic growth well if we ever want to do that it would be really convenient to have some bio lab there that allegedly did a little bit of work with bat coronaviruses so the us ends up funding the creation of that wuhan lab and making sure that there's some bat coronavirus work done there so uh -huh. then when pompeo presumably decides in 2019 okay we we hit him with the with the chicken flu in 2017 we hit him with the, the the pork flu in 2018 and uh, now let's go for broke here and do the next version of SARS and mirrors and see if we can really cripple their economy we'll hit them at the time that it's going to spread from Wuhan the transit hub of the country during the Chinese New Year travel period when hundreds of millions of people are moving through Wuhan so mm -hmm. we hit them at exactly that time hoping to cripple their economy and of course it, it didn't work out quite right um, and so having that that Wuhan lab there then allows them to use this as a way of, of blaming China and smearing China. So we can do economic damage to China, not only by hitting them with this. Well, that didn't work out so well. But, yeah, they've had to lock down a lot. So their economy has slowed. And the biggest single strategic problem that the U.S. faces in its relationship with China is the growth of the Chinese economy relative to the U.S. one. And we've actually narrowed that a little bit thanks to COVID. Even though we got hit worse than they did with COVID, they've been locking down harder than we have. So their economy has slowed more than ours has. It yeah, looks well, like ours, ours slowed an awful lot. We were we've really been damaged over the last. That's couple true. Of years. For, well, for a year or two. But see, now we're we're picking up, and China with its zero COVID strategy is going to have to keep doing these massive lockdowns forever if they want to keep up their their zero COVID strategy. But in, in any case. This uh, that putting that Wuhan lab there made it possible to smear China and say China is the source of covid and call it the Chinese virus, which, of course, the Trump administration just kept repeating over and over and over. Just like after 9-11, you know, they were saying bin Laden, bin Laden, bin Laden yes. uh, during the first three minutes. So, yeah, I, I think Ron's on to something there. And I, I agree. He's very, very sharp. And if people want to look at 
you know, like, well, my, my job has basically been looking at all of these so-called conspiracy theories and trying to figure out, you know, which ones are true and significant in what way. And, you know, Ron's work on that is probably as good. It's, it's probably better than anybody else's. And so, you know, he's got these new books out that people should check out, particularly that, that one, you know, and I, I wonder if, if that issue might really blow up, you know, Jeffrey Sachs is just the latest person to, you know, push it down the road. And, you know, it might end up being impossible for the establishment to avoid. And if that happened, you know, we would end up in a whole new world. It could easily precipitate a peaceful end of this U.S. NATO empire, which is now you know, threatening World War III. If the international community were to be forced to recognize that the U.S. created the COVID pandemic by hitting Wuhan and Qom with this bioweapon, that would totally crater the U.S. military's credibility and this empire of 800 military bases worldwide, which is really a drain on America's resources, a drain on our well-being as well as the world's well-being, could be folded up peacefully and taken home, as opposed to what the neocons are working on, which is you know going out with a big nuclear bang. Yeah. Well, I wanted just to get back to, um, if I could, to our court case and 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 apprise the listeners of what what really what happened. Uh, and I, I hopefully I can do it briefly. Yeah, um, go for it. The um, uh, the the uh, plaintiffs sued us, uh, claiming that we were infringing upon their First Amendment rights to worship. And um, and like I said earlier, we had the fortune of getting uh, some pro bono lawyers on our side. Um, and the um, the judge uh, at the um, district level, Judge Roberts, um, she she dismissed the case. And of course, the um, the people with the big bucks went over to the uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and um, and the uh, the three judge panel uh, ruled at um, uh, in our favor again. Uh, although they did say, and this was kind of uh, worrisome, that the um, that the the Jewish folk did have standing in the federal court system, um, and it's just amazing that um, to, to us. And in, a, and in another example of Jewish power is that, that uh, a few offended Jewish people can can uh, press the courts and say, well, we have standing because we we, we have suffered under the, the signs that Mr. Herskovitz has held up and his group. Um, and and but in any case, the, uh, the appeals court um, rejected uh, their their appeal and they sided with the uh, with Roberts on the um, at the district court level. Uh, the plaintiffs undaunted went on to demand a or request an en banc hearing, I guess, hearing at the at the uh, appeals court level, Sixth Circuit, whereby the whole um, the whole bench, not just three judges off the whole bench, but all the all the judges on the bench get to to vote on this. And the uh, to their credit, the Sixth Circuit passed it around and didn't get even one judge to uh, of the whole of the whole bench to say that the case had had merit. Um, again, they went on and they got um, nine Jewish religious organizations to uh, write an amicus brief or an uh, uh, yeah, amicus brief uh, in support of the uh, the the, um, the plaintiffs. Um, concurrent with that was that the uh, one of the plaintiffs, the man Marvin Gerber, got so upset with the attorney Mark Susselman who 
who um, who wrote such vile things, vile statements uh, and slanderous statements, not about us, but about I mean, he used the N word. He used uh, negative stereotypes of uh, of Arab people. Um, I just thought that he should be disbarred by something of the of the nature that he wrote. But in any case, um, they had uh, these nine organizations, an additional one from the uh, Israel Emergency Alliance. They wrote um, uh, an amicus brief. Um, and then the uh, split came between the attorney and Gerber. And Gerber went out and got himself Nathan Lewin from Washington, D.C., a person who's who was referred to as a super lawyer by the uh, by the Washingtonian um, newsletter or news magazine. And uh, he came on board and um, they um, they filed writs of certiorari to the Supreme Court. Apparently, um, uh, Lewin has a friendship with Judge uh, Justice Kavanaugh, and he tried to leverage that to uh, to get his uh, writ of certiorari uh, granted by the Supreme Court so that they would hear it. Um, but um, both writs of certiorari have been denied by the Supreme Court, uh, one in uh, March and one in May. And so um, what happens next um, is that there there is the 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 judge um, Roberts also granted our attorneys um, of their their fees and their fees uh, amount to about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And so right now uh, the judgment has been granted has been issued against the plaintiffs for the frivolous suit that they filed. Um, I'm very hopeful that our attorneys get reimbursed for their time and efforts because it was a considerable time and effort to um, to to wade through all the uh, um, the pages and pages of uh, of uh, nothing really. Uh, I mean, Nathan Lewin should go back to law school and learn that the uh, the First Amendment only protects um, religious people from the government intrusion, and we are not the government. Uh, so he he needs to learn that. Um, and um, and so that that put an end to it. And the only thing remaining now is whether the appeals process will uh, sustain Judge Roberts' ruling that our, that our attorneys get their just desserts, and I certainly hope they do. So they were actually trying to claim that the First Amendment's protection of freedom of religion can be used to shut down free speech on the public sidewalk because you're somehow interfering with their free exercise of religion? Yes. In fact, I think oh my goodness. Lewin even pointed out the... Uh, the pill poll argument that that religion precedes speech in the First Amendment. And I, I didn't even check that. But I'm sure, <laughs> sure he's right about that. Oh, but it's, it, it, you know, it, it's a uh, you know, what, what what does that mean, Nathan? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, well, I mean, he, he would have had a point if if you guys had been a bunch of, you know, federal agents or soldiers or something, you know, government. Uh, right thugs uh, blocking access to their synagogue, then he would have had a point. The First Amendment would have uh, protected him. What they tried to do is to is to uh, also uh, in parallel to suing us in the same in this in the same case, they sued the city officials. They sued the mayor. They sued the excuse me, city attorney and a couple other people in the uh, in this in, in City Hall and thereby trying to make that very tenuous link between us 
and the city. They were even claiming a conspiracy between us and the mayor and the mayor hates us. <laughs> so it was like it was like ridiculous on the face. You know, there was no way that Mayor um, Taylor was going to uh, associate himself with us uh, and, and and be his one. I mean, that's the you know, but that's what the plaintiffs tried to tried to pull. And they tried to um, gaslight the court. That was the expression the city's attorney uh, used that the uh, that the plaintiff Sussel or the plaintiff's attorney Sussel was trying to gaslight Judge Roberts. And uh, Judge Roberts recognized that. And to her credit, um, she stood up against him and uh, and said, uh, you know, no more BS. And, uh, oh, by the way, you owe uh, their attorneys 160 large. Sounds like a classic frivolous slap suit. And and I hope they get slapped with all the legal fees. I hope so, too. I mean, it it really was we would we would be very much helpless if we had to do this ourselves. Uh, you know, or we'd have to hire an attorney and go bankrupt. Um, well, that's quick. what they want. And that's what they want. And like I say, we're uh, we're pretty lucky. Uh, we got some quality attorneys and um, and they uh, they stuck it to them. Wow. Well, again, this is uh, it's it's one of those good news stories. And one it, of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're very, we're very pleased. I have the, the, the denial writs, the denial of the writs taped on my wall right here in my in my office and we every time i get down in the dumps i look at that and a, a little smile creeps on my face very cool so you know it's a good example that if you actually have a strong enough case and your opponent has a weak enough case you still can get justice you know even if the people coming after you are wealthy and powerful if they're if they're dumb enough to go with such a stupid case you know you can still win so the court system hasn't completely collapsed yet Sometimes I think it's getting pretty close, uh, seeing some unjust results in certain cases. But in in this one, uh, it looks like there's been some common sense in the well, American that, judiciary. It, it is true. I mean, there's you know, there's no there's no room for gloating here. Uh, I don't not on my part, because I think that uh, perhaps if the a plaintiffs had gotten a hold of super lawyer Lewin from the outset, it, it could have it could have had a different outcome. You know, mm. and, and he could be rallying the troops and and, uh, um, you know, there's no there's no way to tell how it's going to how it would, would happen. Um, but the uh, interestingly, uh, uh, in the past couple of weeks, last two weeks running, um, two women have come and tried to damage our signs. And uh, we feel that they are kind of like emboldened. Uh, with this privileged chosenness that they can say, you know, this offends me, therefore I have the right to tear it down. And uh, we've called the police on them last week. That, um, we apprehended a, a vandal that's written up in my report that you had been looking at. Um, and she she called the police. I mean, that to me was such a, a shock. And, and then, of course, not a shock because that's what that's what the Jewish state does, right? Is it is it commits incredible atrocities against the public, the Palestinian people, and then claims they cry, they cry out as they strike you. Yeah, that's right. They they cry out as they strike you exactly, and it's it's just that's what it was writ small for the last two weeks, where these young Jewish women come over and try to vandalize our property, and when we confront them, then they say, "Oh, he's he's attacking me," and and the last lady. 
which will come out in my report in the next couple of weeks, said, uh, well, you called me a name last week, which, of course, is not true. And even if it were true, um, that's free speech. Um, and she has no right to vandalize our sign based on what she feels hurt. But but it's this it's this pill pull of being able to twist these arguments into uh, forming that the uh, um, that the that the Jewish person is always the victim. Um, and of course, that's why we have 300 uh, Holocaust movies. Um, one of the signs that really irks the Jewish community is our sign that says no more Holocaust movies. Uh, it's like, please, we've had it up to here with this, with this, you know, we no, know that's kind of funny that, that that's one that really sets them off. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and it's it's there. Um, it's funny, but but it's still they have to protect that that hammer uh, because it's the only thing that that keeps the world from having sympathy for Palestinians. I mean, no other group in the world that you could pro possibly think of would generate sympathy if they were committing the acts against the Palestinians. I mean, if the South Koreans were were uh, um, oppressing Palestinians, we'd get after those South, you know, South Koreans. Or if it was like a radical nationalist Christian group, I'm pretty yeah. sure that the media wouldn't portray some extremist Christian invasion, occupation, and attempt to colonize Palestine at the expense of the Palestinian people, pushing it all the way to genocide. If, you know, if some radical Christian group had done what, what the Jewish Zionists are doing today, I think our media would take a very dim view of it. Yes. Yeah, I think that they would go after these guys. and, and uh, They'd be and, the new you know, crusaders. Yeah. You know, you know how many um, United Nations resolutions is Israel in violation of? It's over 70. Um, and uh, and yet the world does nothing. I mean, the, the the world is really being held hostage by Jewish power. Um, and, you know, speaking speaking of, of Jewish power, Henry, I wondered about your take on Ukraine. You you did mention earlier that you thought that uh, the uh, Jewish power groups, or some of them anyway, may be uh, involved in Ukraine, the Ukraine war and manufacturing the Ukraine war. Now, the, the standard analysis of the Ukraine war is that it's it's the U.S. empire and the neocons who gave us project for a new American century in uh, 2000 and then got their new Pearl Harbor, as they called for it in, in 2001, are actually hoping for a new American century. That is, they know that the U.S. has been the dominant global power uh, for, you know, since World War II, at least, and they want to extend that for another hundred years. And so in Ukraine, it does seem like well, it's hard to figure out precisely what they think they're doing. But the best guess is it looks like they're trying to draw the Russian bear into a trap that will debilitate Russia and ostracize Russia and harm Russia enough that they can then cripple it and maybe bust it up into pieces and then turn their attention to China. So that's kind of the official view. But others like NASA analyst Richard Cook, who just wrote a new article on this, a 20,000 word magnum opus I'm looking forward to reading and talking about on the show, think that there's actually a kind of Zionist or Jewish nationalist element to this. And the key players are largely Jewish. Uh, and he wonders whether the Israelis may not see the writing on the wall and be thinking about moving to Ukraine at some point and that wow. this war might be about that. So I don't know. What, what do you think about these? Yes. Well, I, I just I know enough to know that the United States doesn't do anything on its own. You know, our foreign policy is so manipulated by the Jewish lobby 
that um, you know I I take everything I read in the mainstream media with no with with two grains of salt I guess and and it's a uh, you know I don't quite understand the issue I do know that Russia my understanding is I guess I should say I don't know but Russia um, um, op- you know is a uh, is an openly Christian country and um, and I'm very much convinced that um, that uh, Jews in their uh, ability to um, promote um, their own uh, group identity and strategies uh, include um, uh, framing Christianity as something that's that's bad and needs to be uh, broken down. And I think that that's part of what's going on with Russia. Um, again, that's not my expertise. My expertise is as a street urchin to go out there every Saturday morning, which I have to, you know, get ready for tomorrow and and get out there and and do it. But that's, you know, I'm just, I'm, Kevin, I'm just going to do one thing and I'm going to do it well. And uh, and that is I'm going to try to bring what I know or try to, you know, or, or I know to be true with the Palestine um, struggle. Uh, what, you know, the 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 fact that. Um, Jewish elites and and almost every Jew I know is supportive of the state of Israel. And I think that they need to wake up. I think that uh, in all kindness towards um, my, uh, uh, you know, to the Jews of Ann Arbor and to the world, you know, we implore them to, to wake up and see what their uh, their corruptive influence is by their elites that are leading them. But they're only leading them with their uh, with the the average Jewish man woman's approval, and and so this 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 cycle has to has to stop. The um, the local Jewish newspaper just printed two pages of donors to the uh, to the Jewish Federation, and uh, there's a whole lot of money in that. And uh, and and then when you uh, when you point that out, of course you're an anti-Semite. In fact, what they're trying to do. Kevin is to is to uh, make the claim that it is our our group's anti-Semitism that drives our presence, um, and not the fact that we have been there, seen it, done that in Palestine. We have some some you know street creds under our belt that that says no, what's what's going on there is not what's being portrayed in the uh, in the mainstream media. And um, um, we are uh, not being driven by Jew hatred. Uh, we don't hate Jews. I'm trying to adopt a Christian and perhaps Islamic version of, uh, of love for everybody. Um, and, um, you know, and I so I, I still turn to the Jewish community and say, get get your heads on, guys, because because something bad's going to come down the pike. And um and you're going to then say, as you did in 1939, um, well, what's going on? Well, we're trying to tell you what's going on. Um, we're trying to get you to recognize that that perceived and actual um, anti-Jewish sentiment always follows bad Jewish behavior. And if you can't stop and self-reflect and see that and see what the Jewish state is doing to the Palestinian people, and don't, you can't see how that's going to affect people's feelings about Jews in general, then you're only fooling yourself. And you better get um, on board 
with this idea of equality for all and give up or at least challenge these notions that are written in the uh, religious Jewish texts that, that grant um, Jews superiority over non-Jews. Uh, it's just it's just astounding me what Nahida is bringing uh, to light uh, in, 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 in my world to, to say this is what has um, engendered this us versus them um, feeling that, that I've had all my adult life except for the last 10, 20 years. You know, it is, um, you know. Well, the, Jew, uh, the Jews didn't invent ethnocentrism, but they may have perfected it. <laughs> well, they, uh, you know, I guess talk to Kevin McDonald and he'll tell you all about that. Um, he's, you know, and, and it's, um, it's, it's very effective. Uh, because, you know, it's it's been very easy to become the most hated man in Ann Arbor. You just go out there with an idea and you say, um, you know, end Jewish supremacism in Palestine. And that makes you a, a, a hated person. Well, you, may, you may be hated by a lot of people, but I understand that the folks who drive by are not all uh, opposed to you. In fact, it seems like you get more support than denigration, don't you? That is true, and it's 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 a result um, from my friend Dan McGowan, who um, initiated the phrase "America First, Not Israel," and it's a um, it's a great way to divide, um, do a little divide and conquer of our own, as it says to Jews, um, "We're on to you." You know, you may say that you're American, but we know that you're really lo more loyal to. Uh, to a foreign country than you are to your own country. And the proof of that is clear. It's 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 written by the, the Jewish press where they list two, in two pages all the donors to the Jewish Federation, which clearly supports the state of Israel. So they're giving money to an organization that supports a foreign country, and they give no money to their own country. I mean, they'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, we pay taxes. Well, sure, they pay taxes. But above and beyond taxes... Um, how many Jewish families contribute to the United States? You know, and, and I think that's well, you know, Henry, there's there's there there are different sides to that argument, of course, because the, there are a long list of you know Jews are disproportionately represented in all sorts of areas, uh, and many of them are in supposedly productive parts of society, right? So you know, that's, yeah. you could you can make that ar uh, argument that that Jews have actually enhanced U.S. imperial power by being here. Well, I can you, you can certain I can certainly agree with that. But in terms of of challenging uh, this concept of dual loyalty, when in fact I believe it's it's single loyalty um, that they're they're not loyal to the to the United States and they are loyal to the state of Israel. But in any case, the uh, the, the the reason that we win every week, where we keep track of the um, signs of approval versus signs of disapproval. Um, I think it's because we're, you know, some of the people that say, yeah, America first, you know, when we fly the flag and we flew a bunch of flags on the, on the, um, the, the day that was close to the 4th of July. Um, and, uh, you know, we're getting approval because people are catching on to it. When we say uh, no more wars for Israel, um, people understand that. At least some people understand that the people that are willing to give us Give us a honk, and um, you know how many um, how many of our our state or excuse me our, our um, federal senators and congressmen uh, hold Israeli citizenship? 
another one that's one of our signs that say Israeli citizens in our Congress. Um, people react to that, and I think that that's what's uh, getting their um, uh, the Jewish panties in a wad here. That's why they had to bring a lawsuit against us. Right. So they they want you to be universally hated, but you're not. And then, yeah, you know, that's, and, and that's... once something becomes no longer unanimous, and you know, different views are allowed to be heard. Some of these other views are going to become uh, far more uh, convincing to a lot of folks, and the tide could actually turn. And they're they're trying to hold it back, but it's like the story of the Dutch boy with his finger in the dike. At some point, the uh, the flood is going to burst that dike, and let's just hope it's not you know, ugly and, and violent, because we don't want that. We we just want folks to get along and be able to speak freely and work out their differences in a fair yeah, manner. I want that. Yes, okay. Well, I think we hit the end of the show. Thank you. Uh, it's It's been great uh, talking with you. Henry Herskovich in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one of the braver activists I know. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Take care. Henry Herskovich, back next week with more on Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett, truthjihad.com is the website. So the Substack. Subscribe to get early access to these shows. Take care. God bless. Thank you.